welcome to the Theology Podcast. This is C.R. Wiley, and we are back, back in West Hartford, Connecticut, at the Corner Pug, and we're in the back room, and we have the music turned down a little bit. All that annoying human conversation is in another other than part. Earth. That's right, other than ours. Well, well, that's debatable. Earth may end up being annoying too, but that's, that's another matter. That's right. That's right. But we're here, and uh, we're glad to be here. And uh, why don't we introduce ourselves? We've got a fun one today. It's a very seasonal subject. But uh, Tom, why don't you start? Um, Tom Price, a systematic theologian and Christian ethicist, teaching uh, both at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. All right, and... Glenn Sunshine, professor of history at Central Connecticut State University and senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. And I'm C.R. Wiley, the senior pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester in Manchester, Connecticut. Anyway, it's Glenn's day. And Glenn has given me a little snippet, a little sample of what we have in store. So go for it, Glenn. What are we talking about today? Well, we're actually going to sort of act contrary to type. I want to go after the curmudgeons out there. All right, let's go, let's go. We're, we're usually the curmudgeons, but um, in, in, in this case, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Scrooges. Yes. The bah humbug people when it comes to Christmas, and they are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to do this from two different directions. Let's start with the first one, though. And that's uh, an odd combination of the sort of neo-pagan community and some over scrupulous Christians who argue essentially that, Christ, that Christmas is nothing but a warmed over appropriation of paganism. That what we've done is we've stolen the whole thing from the pagans. Yeah, so what we have here are these, these very dedicated believers and their enemies agree on one thing. There's right. nothing as bad as Christmas. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so let, let, let's start with one of the basic ones. And actually, this is this goes way, way back. Um, the date for Christmas. Ah, yes. Yes. So the standard thing that you will hear from just about everybody is that Christmas was set up uh, to compete with Saturnalia, ah. a Roman festival that occurred around the winter solstice, which in that period was actually pretty close to December 25th rather than December 21st. So the idea is that, you know, there were all these Saturnalia festivities and things like that, and when Christianity came along, they realized they needed something fun to to compete with with, um, Saturnalia. And you actually find this going back 12th century, maybe even a bit earlier, you're running into writers who are saying, yeah, well, this is really how we set the date of Christmas because the fact of the matter is we really, you know, the scriptures don't tell us this, and so this is what they picked. And then you get these people who will tell you things like, well, you know, shepherds were never out in the fields in the winter. Uh. (laughs) Well, number one, we really don't know much about the way shepherds worked in first century Judea. So let, let's kind of throw that one out right away. And there are good reasons to assume that the shepherds were out all year. More on that in a bit. But the actual reason why Christmas was December 25th, or for that matter, January 6th, if you're some yep. types of Eastern Orthodox, mm-hmm. has nothing to do with Saturnalia. It has everything to do with Judaism. Oh, let's get into that. Okay, so in Judaism, there was an idea that, imp- that God tends to um, celebrate anniversaries, that important events tend to occur on the same date. So the world was created during the month of Nisan. Abraham was called during the month of Nisan. The Exodus occurred during the month of Nisan, and so on. Well, we're not talking about the car company here. No, no. This is this is Nissan, a month in the Jewish lunar calendar, gotcha, and the fact gotcha. that it's a lunar calendar is important here. Yes, yes. So the question is, well, well, Jesus was crucified on Passover, so the 14th day of Nissan is more or less the majority view on what day it was within the Jewish calendar. A little bit of dispute there, but most people settled on 14 Nissan. The question became, now the early church, first century or so, didn't really care about Christmas. They really weren't, utter, they were utterly unconcerned about when, when Jesus was born. But in the second century, people started saying, well, you know, when, when was this? And if you look at their writings, what, they're sa- what they say is, you know, 
Jesus died on the 14th of Nisan. How do we translate that into the Roman calendar, which was solar? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people went with March 25th. Others went with April 6th. Hmm. So then the idea adopted out of Judaism came in that Jesus must have entered the world the same day he left it. Right. He came to life in this world the same day he left life in this world. Which meant, now in Judaism, you enter the world on the day you are conceived, mm-hmm. not on the day you're born, which is one of the reasons why Jews historically have always argued abortion is murder. It's not new with the Christians. Right, we right. got it from the Jews because of this idea that your life starts at conception. It's actually a good biological fact right. as well. Right. Well, what that means is that Jesus must have been conceived on 14th Nisan. That's when the Feast of the Annunciation was, hence mm-hmm. March 25th. Ed, nine months, you get December 25th. There you go. That's why December 25th. And by the way, old calendar, um, Eastern Orthodox, April 6th to January 6th. Yeah, yeah. And there's been a lot of bickering about that ever since. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So, (laughs) So Saturnalia and pagan festivals and solstices and things like that have nothing to do with it, except for the fact that Passover is always near the vernal equinox, so Christmas must be near well, here's, the here's, winter solstice. Yeah, now here's something I'd like to explore a little bit, if you don't mind. Why is it that we suspect the worst? Yeah. Why is it that we assume the worst? Why is it that we, instead of saying to ourselves, we don't understand why they picked this date, there must be a good reason, yeah. why do we assume that there's a bad reason? <laughs> any, any thoughts? I think that a lot of it really, you know, I, I can't explain why the medievals came up with Saturnalia, right, right. except they didn't have any better sources on it. But I think we want to believe it because in a lot of ways, Christmas is a magical time. And I don't know that people <clears throat> really take the history of it that this is an, an historical event. I don't mm-hmm. know how many of them take okay. that really seriously. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And so it's, it's convenient to roll it in with these mythological things. Now, there's another reason for it, actually, uh, as well, and that has to do with uh, 19th century um, comparative religion people, mm-hmm. uh, even people like, uh, like the Brothers Grimm who were actually linguists, who argued that most of our customs, this is where we're gonna go next, most of our customs surrounding Christmas and Easter and things like that are nothing more than warmed over paganism. They're wrong, but they argued that. Well, you know, kind of the the thing that I I sort of, sort of as I I reflect on this, an hypothesis that I have, is that there is some some anti-clericalism at work here. Mm -hmm. that, uh, That there's kind of a low church contempt Mm -hmm. for any kind of formality for one thing but also any kind of uh, interest in you know sort of uh, uh, you know sort of patterns or calendars or anything that that sort of takes you away from you know sort of personal authenticity you know and and I think yeah that that hits on maybe one strand of the negativity that you see and continued especially in Protestant spheres mm-hmm. um, and sectarian spheres uh, of the negativity to Christmas. I mean, you you can think of, for example, some of these critiques that um, the illegitimate conversion of Constantine, right. imposing and converting a pagan social order in such a way that, um, and you, you could, you know, you could probably argue this this kind of thing would would have been tempting for Anabaptist traditions, which mm-hmm. saw all of that as illegitimate and right. papal. Papist, right? Um, and so they they didn't see any any positives um, in in any of that. I'm not talking about the earlier, you know, mm, the sure. earlier stuff. But I mean, you can see this kind of you know, Christ Mass, the Mass of Christ, this mm-hmm. Papist. Um, you see this with a, some, a lot of the Puritan writers. This, you know, that really just distaste for anything that uh, smells of the you know the conversion of an empire, a pagan empire, to to um, to to shifting those those otherwise pagan notions 
um, in an unconverted sense into Christian symbols and practices. Well, in, 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 the, in the low church thing, you've also got the, you know, the entire idea of the church calendar, you know, Advent, Lent, mm -hmm. you know, these seasons mm -hmm. um, that are, you know, people just, uh, you know, Lent, well, what are you going to give up for Lent? Why do you give up anything for Lent? They don't even understand the, the reasoning here. They, would, they, they don't they, even they know would what rather, Advent is. They would rather uh, import a, a secular pagan calendar right. <laughs> that has right. no <laughs> enchantment to it, much right. less any fulfillment yes, of the desire of the nations. <laughs> and, now, and now we're back to the enchantment thing. Well, yeah. that, this is actually kind of a neat segue for me. Just I want to throw one more thing in here. I know you want to move on, but, sure. no. but, I, but I also think that there's a kind of I, I, I think a kind of Pentecostal sort of suspicion that everything in this world is sort of the product of demonic forces. So that, and, and that if this is a popular <laughs> thing, it's, it's almost yeah. like the more popular it is, the more demonic it must be. So since everybody loves Christmas, that must mean it's really, really demonic. Mm. Now, I don't know if you've got yeah. any, any well, thought of that. I, I would, but, but, but sometimes it's like, it, well, let's, let's sort of uncover the, the horrible, mm -hmm. pagan, demonic character of our most beloved things. Oh, we'll, we'll be getting to that. And, <laughs> but, but interestingly, in, in within that vein, I do remember from circles like this, for example, the Christmas tree being the set of where the pagan orgies took place. Hold on, I'm going to Christmas trees. I'm going to get to Christmas trees. Let's go back, let's go back to Glenn now. Sorry, I was already on the pagan orgies. Well, who doesn't like that? Never mind. Let me just note one quick thing about shepherds, because I think this is really kind of cool. The shepherds that the angels came to we're near Bethlehem, which is like five miles from Jerusalem. The shepherds raised flocks specifically for the temple sacrifices. Okay. Most of them were from Levitical or priestly families. Okay. And yes, they were out all year because they need to have a constant mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. supply of, of uh, sacrifices. There were caves near Bethlehem where the sheep gave birth. And when the sheep gave birth in these caves, the first thing that they did is they inspected the lambs to see if they were spotless without blemish yeah. in accordance with the law. And if they were, they swaddled them. Hmm. They wrapped them in blankets to keep them from hurting themselves and injuring themselves as oh, they're right. starting to thrash around as, as babies. Right, right, because that could lead to a mm -hmm. blemish. Right. So when the angels told the shepherds ah, that nice. there's a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. I see where you're going. They're thinking birthing cave. Yeah, yeah. Laid in a manger. Right, I mean, right, right, right. You know, th there, are, there are some other possible interpretations on exactly what was going on there, but I think that's the one that makes the best sense. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. by the way, like I said, that's year-round. It could, in fact, have happened over the winter. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So, Okay. You got something you know, here, Tom? I have something here. You're probably going there. This ties back into where I was already going, but um, the wise men reading the stars. Right, right. Maybe Zoroastrians. Could be. Yeah. We're, we're talking yeah. pagans. Yep. Yeah. Magi, magic. Yeah, and these that's are where people, the word comes from. Right. These are people who were given an announcement. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the desire of the nations. Yeah, right. well, Matthew actually, everybody talks about Matthew was written for the Jews, and that's probably more or less true. But one of the things in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the themes is that the promise to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him is being fulfilled in Jesus. So the Magi, I am sure, are Gentiles. In the genealogy, the only women who are mentioned are Gentiles. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. There, there's a whole right. series of Gentile references right. Right. buried in Matthew. And being Gentiles, you're talking about people that otherwise would be called pagans mm -hmm. who find the fulfillment right. of even their pagan traditions, yes, sub subverted in light of the cross, but also fulfilled in light of Christ's redemptive work. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what you have here is an interesting connection so that when the gospel goes in to the uttermost parts of the earth, it is not simply going into territory in which there wasn't preparation. 
Well, there you go. This gets me back to my earlier thought about uh, you know our approach to the to the past. So you know today we talk about the hermeneutic of suspicion, mm -hmm. which you know is a term that was re that uh, was used to refer to you know people like Freud or Nietzsche or Marx yeah. who were always trying to kind of get beneath the surface of the arguments to the real motives, yes. the power. You know, yeah. the, de the desire to control the all this kind of stuff. The will. That's it. That, yeah. that kind of stuff. Now, uh, there's a kind of Christian cor corollary to that. Yeah. There is this idea that pagans are utterly, utterly worthless. And if there's anything that has a kind of pagan tincture, gloss, whatever, it's completely worthless. Which does what? Sort of casts aside the idea that God is at work in the world, even outside the church. Yeah. Are we really willing to say that? And that Paul should never have used the hymn to Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. But, but you see where I'm going with yeah. this. And we see this particularly in a sort of uh, a reified way in certain reformed communities, and I know you're gonna go there, Glenn, mm -hmm, yeah. but there's this, it, that if, if a pagan said it, it ipso facto can't have anything worthwhile to it. And this is why Paul rebuked Peter. Because Peter, yeah, right. Peter who set off okay, yep. but he decided that it's not, you know, it's when it comes down to dining time, mm -hmm. um, I can't sit with those yep. Yep. nasty beasts who would not, don't mm -hmm. practice what we do as, yep. as Jews. Yep. And of course, you know, there's also sort of implicit in that whole thing that Peter is actually just playing to the Judaizers. So, <laughs> yeah. no. anyway. No. Well, let, 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 let's talk about Christmas trees. Okay. All right. brought that up. I love Christmas trees. I okay. Except and, I don't um, like the artificial ones, like yeah. that one over My there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sitting here looking, I'm sitting here looking at a Christmas tree right now. Actually, you're I, looking I, at a, at a mocka, mockery yes. of a Christmas tree. Well, well, yeah. I posted it. It's, your names are both tied to yeah, it. Yeah, we've got to put, put it on the Facebook page so okay. people know what we're talking about. I have it on there right yeah. now. I did. So, so um, you will run into people, you'll, well, you'll run into a lot of pagans who will say that Christmas trees are, in fact, from paganism. You will run into some fundamentalists to do, make do those, the same argument. But do those pagans actually have a Christmas tree in their house because it's pagan? Probably not. <laughs> and <laughs> just out of curiosity, from a Christian perspective, who is the creator of the, the tree. Christmas tree? That's right. And the, who is it that has basically uh, the one to which the fulfillment of everything that tree is about yeah, well, can, well, we, well anyway. we're, we're getting to a whole okay. other set of episodes. Okay. Right. I, I, I just want to talk about history. Okay. Right. <laughs> no, I'm a metaphysician. Get, 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 the thing about this, I mean, I've run into people who talk about uh, about Jeremiah. I forgot the chapter condemning Christmas trees because because it talks about going into the woods and cutting down this tree right. and decorating it with oh, gold and silver. No, no. And what it's talking about is making an idol. Yeah, I mean, right, you right. read it in context, it's painfully obvious. Yeah, right. But you know, they'll tell you it goes back to the ancient Egyptians who worship palm trees. Or, now, uh, isn't or, it interesting that they're into, they're into tradition and into mm -hmm. lines of sort of causation for anything except the Christian faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, Druids worshiped oaks, you know, right, I mean, right. neither of which are evergreens. But, okay. Let's talk about what, what, when do Christmas trees actually show up? The first Christmas tree, the first reference to anything like a Christmas tree I've been able to find is a 16th century English historian who says that he found a document from 1444 which talked about bringing a tree in and doing a celebration around this tree at Christmas time. Okay. So the earliest reference we have to something is a secondhand document that's supposed to date to 1444. We know in Germany and in England, they, yeah, they, 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 they brought in trees originally kept outdoors. And these were actually closely associated with medieval mystery plays about the Garden of Eden, the hmm. fall in the garden. Hmm. December 24th, Christmas Eve, is uh, known as Adam and Eve Day hmm. Hmm. in medieval Europe. Hmm. And so they would bring in 
trees. They would decorate them with apples because apple is a symbol of the forbidden yeah. fruit. Yeah, sure. Okay, which later turns into balls. Right, uh, by right. the way, the reason why apples are the forbidden oh. fruit is uh, a pun in Latin. Okay. Um, the word for apple is malus. The word for evil is malus. Spelled ah, the same way, different get, accentuation. Gotcha, gotcha. So they used malus to represent malus. Right, right. Okay, but in any event, um, so they would decorate them with those. Then they would also sometimes add wafers for the, the host. Okay, so that's, that's good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good gotcha, and evil. Gotcha. So th they used those at Christmas Eve festivities because of Adam and Eve. Hmm. They, like I said, they come out of the paradise tree in medieval mystery plays. Hmm. They weren't... They, they were, you know, they, they'd bring them up, they would do a feast, they'd, they'd dance around it, they'd do all these kinds of things, and then frequently they'd burn it at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Early 16th century in Germany and the Baltic, they start being brought inside, and people start putting up these paradise trees, we would call them Christmas trees now, in their homes. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther adds the other component to this, apparently. Mm -hmm. Luther was coming home, according to the story, he was coming home from... Uh, working and he was looking at the stars uh, over the pine forests around him. Yeah. And when he got home, he was trying to express just how beautiful the, the stars and the pines were and all that. So he started attaching candles to the Christmas tree oh. to show the lights of, of the stars and all that. You got some lights on that artificial yep. Yep. thing, thing over abomination there. over there. <laughs> And, yeah. it, it, and they're twinkling. If it's good enough for Martin Luther, then it's so, good enough for That's right. Now, yeah, that's there you go. So, like, so, uh, there's a past Protestant muster now. So, at that point, Christmas trees begin coming into German, well, Lutheran tradition. Right. Now, the thing to note here is that Saxony, where Luther was, was converted to Christianity somewhere around the year 800. Mm -hmm. So this is 700 years later. Yep. To argue that there's a connection to German paganism right. over a 600 or 700 year gap with no reference at all in right. between, that strains credulity. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know how anybody could possibly believe that. And if you're going to ancient Egypt, it's even longer. You're going to the Druids, it's even longer. Right. Well, again, this gets me back to this sort of hermeneutic of suspicion in the church. Mm -hmm. we, 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 we assume the worst all yeah. the time. And when, it, when what I would argue is, and I'm, not, I'm not arguing for credulity. I am arguing for a fair-mindedness and also for faith that that we believe that God is at work in the world, not just within the sort of intentional sort of action of his believing mm -hmm. church, but all over the place. Yeah. So that when missionaries, for example, go to places where the gospel has never been heard, they go looking for evidence of God's handiwork, something that God has done yeah. that gives them, like the peace child. Mm -hmm. That's right. Sure, exactly. Per right. Points of reference. Right, Redemptive which gets, analogies. Us, it gets yeah. us back to the desire of the nations. Now, why yeah. can't we give the same credit to Greeks and Romans? And exactly. We, yeah. we expect missionaries to do this, and we applaud them and talk about how yeah. wonderful it is right. when missionaries do it. But when we look at our own ancestry, right. Right. the Christian cultures that were produced to Christianize pagan Northern Europe, right. we somehow think that, oh, that's, that's evil. That's, that's you know, off the It's book. okay if they do it. In, in Papua New Guinea, and, right, and, right. and I think that what's going on is you, you, they, they're reading, they're doing exactly what Judaizers did. They're reading redemptive history as though this, this sanctified line was something that in and of itself warranted or merited it. No, yes. this is a converted yes. history right. that is the first fruits of the converted history of all the nations, right? And, yeah. and yeah. so, it, even though it's the foundational story, it's the it's the primary um, revelatory history. Nevertheless, all histories find their fulfillment in in that, not their pure negation. There mm -hmm. is a negative element to all of it. Sure, even the redemptive history. There, there right. is there is a no. Um, that is the cross, but there's the yes, that's the resurrection. Yes. And so the resurrection is not like a Marcionite heresy that comes in 
and basically says, okay, the Old Testament picture was evil and an evil God who touched the earth, and the New Testament is the presentation of a, a, a pure culture. Yeah, yeah now we, we get that kind of nuttiness, that kind of Marcionism, yeah. sometimes from progressives who yeah. will say things like, yeah. well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. He never <laughs> talked about cannibalism either. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah. That's right. But, but you see what I'm getting at here yeah. is this, this, this crude and weird, even with people who really, you know, have pretensions or yeah. pretentious, yeah. you know, pre uh, pretensions to intelligence, uh, who don't seem to make these connections. Now, getting back to resurrection, to the, to the divine yes, what's the divine yes saying yes to? Well, it's saying yes to the creation. Yep. Right. So new creation mm -hmm. presupposes a creation, <laughs> right? right. So an, an, another, moving from the Christmas tree, some things that genuinely have pagan roots, wreaths, Hmm. Evergreens in general, yeah, yeah. holly, ivy, yeah, right, mistletoe. Right, right. All of these are things that, that have been pulled into our Christmas tradition largely because they're seasonal, not because they're Christmas. Mm -hmm. But many of them are in the mode of peace child, reinterpreted in new ways so that they illustrate redemptive history. Or maybe corrected. Maybe, now this is another okay. way to think about it. Yeah. So for example, when, when you say these have been reinterpreted, I know our suspicious friends you know, who are always looking for some evidence of the devil's handiwork uh, are, are, will, will sort of cringe at, the, at the, the idea of something being reinterpreted. But maybe, with a better way to put it, is corrected. Yeah. So maybe when we think about wreaths, for example, we've got the circle, which seems to be, I think, a beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, sort of symbol for the eternal. Yep. You know, if you're going to represent the eternal, you can't do it with a line. Because, you know, the line just goes out of sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you got to, you got to, if you're going to keep it on the same page, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to have a circle. That's right. Yeah. So are we to say that circles are demonic, uh, something that can't be ordered to the Christian faith, or, yeah. or that they are, yeah. they are, in a sense, something that so, is irredeemable? Well, or evergreens. Evergreens, uh, to, to the pagans, most likely represented something like the promise that spring is going to come, the world will be green again. That's right. It's the only there, thing out in the woods that's still yeah. green. Yeah. Therefore, why not use it as a symbol of eternal life, as, as um, resurrection? I'm gonna do a headway. Another cider. <laughs> yeah. And another headway. So do you want do you want do you want these now or not? So headway. Headway. Cider. Mm -hmm. We're good. That's okay. It's okay. Everybody understands you that you 10, don't want to be. People that that's right. Ten thousand people are listening right now, and they all know that you don't want to be heard on the show. <laughs> anyway. Yep. So, so, so yeah. I mean, that that that's exactly along lines of what you're saying. That you know they're thinking about it just in terms of the coming of spring, but it's got bigger significance than right. that in light of the resurrection and the fuller significance of even the pagan symbolism is then brought out. Right, right. And, and I think, you know, and I think figures like Lewis and, and different characters like this un, un, really understood um, the non-competitive um, issue going on there. It's only competitive if you're trying to import the sin part of it. Yeah. But you're not if you're trying to take take the fact that God is providentially active in preparing the nations for something and its fulfillment is found in Christ. I'll get, uh, you know, another way of looking at it is, is you know, think of the Eucharist and, and the sacrament. I mean, you're dealing with something. The, the creation provides uh, for nourishment bread mm -hmm. and, and for sustenance and, and health and joy wine. Mm -hmm. um, these things, of course, drunkenness and gluttony yeah. are the perversions of them. Right. Good and point. yet these are things we put our hands on, taking the creation. We, as humans, put together bread. We ferment the process of wine. These are givens by grace. They can be abused and polluted and destroyed as the pagans did. Mm -hmm. Jesus became identified with that, interestingly. Mm -hmm. But then these very things that can be abused and used sinfully, used in a pagan way, mm -hmm. can actually be sanctified and brought into their conformity to Christ and their fulfillment, and they become the very means of grace through which his, he communes with his people. And I think the whole creation is 
that way in the, in the whole desire of the nations. These things are to be brought into conformity to Christ, back to the, their creator, the one who has given them life. And when they are, they therefore, the tree, all mm. these things attest. This is why meat sacrifice idols was not a big deal. Oh, yeah, it is only if, you're, if you can't get over that hump. But if you can, you eat away. Why? Because there is no reality behind the pagan god. There is a reality when that meat is actually brought into conformity to Christ by thanksgiving thanksgiving and grace. Yes. Eucharistic. You you brought out something that I think that we need to think about a little bit in in this respect is the fact that bread and wine don't just happen. That's right. You know, you have a cultivation, you know, and then you have the, the whole process of making yeah. You know, so there's a human element. There is a human element. In both that. of those things. I think that gets missed a lot in, in our own reformed line. Right. And we're, not eat, we're not just eating, you know, grain off the stalk. That, that's right. That's right. Or we're just not, not picking grapes. Not water out of the mud puddle. And not only Thank that, you. those even those things, uh, you know, grain uh, is the result of cultivation. Thank it's you. not just something. Thanks a lot. It's not just something that happen that's right you know yeah. if we if we if we actually went back to what you know was there you know before you know the cult of cultivation that gave us you know the crops that we now are able to harvest and turn into bread and beer we've got that's some beer right. here <laughs> you know yeah. what we what we what would we have we'd have some just weed mm-hmm. almost uh, impalatable that's weed right. So there was a human, yeah. there, was, there was a cultivating process that uh, was working with what God gave and yeah. developing it. Yeah. So when we think about what the pagans have done, now here's another, I'm just kind of coming from left field here. Yeah. When the Israelites entered into the promised land, they went and dwelt in cities that they had not made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were things that, that had been given to them by God Yep. That initially had been established, even mm-hmm. to in the service of pagan deities, as and as we know, based on you know what we see in history and archaeology, you can't find a city in the ancient world that wasn't dedicated to some deity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, for that matter, going out of Egypt with the the plunder of the Egyptians, yes, it's right. the same kind of thing. Right. Right. <clears throat> so we 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 bar we steal boldly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So let, let me go at this from a different direction now, just sort of shift direction. We can shift back if we want to. But sure. The other one that, that really kind of irks me is the, you know, so we've got the, we've got the neo-pagans who want to claim that we stole everything from them. But they don't we, worship right. the things that we say we, we stole. Right. And, and we have the fundamentalists that agree with the neo-pagans. But... We also have the reformed guys out uh-oh, there. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Um, that that the regulative on, principle <laughs> on, on the basis of the regulative principle oh, argue no. that we should get rid of things like the church calendar, Christmas, and stuff like that. Because, right. well, okay, for those of you who are unenlightened, the regulative principle says that you should do nothing in worship except what is expressly commanded in Scripture. So examples of this would be people who will argue that, um, you know, there's only a small number of things that you can do in worship services. You can sing, you can, and psalms specifically, Mm -hmm. uh, frequently a cappella, although I don't know how you sing Psalm 150 that way. uh, you pray. You you preaching. You have preaching and teaching. You have offerings and you have the sacraments. Mm-hmm. So it means if Jesus went straight into the city, therefore it must have meant he didn't stop and go to the bathroom. So therefore, when you go into the city, you do not stop and go to the bathroom. <laughs> Sorry, I just want to know. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the regular, regular principle asking. only applies specifically to worship. Okay. And and, and the standard the standard argument for this yeah. is the. Uh, the incident when Aaron's sons offered oh, sure. uh, offered uh, uh, unauthorized fire, unauthorized fire, strange fire. I like right. the King mm-hmm. James on that, right. and God judged them for it. And that shows that we must do absolutely nothing except what is expressly commanded by Scripture. Right. Okay, fine. That means we shouldn't celebrate Christmas or Easter or any of these other things. I was actually in an Orthodox Presbyterian church once where Easter Sunday rolled around, and my wife's Lutheran, so she's used to pulling out all the stops for this. First Sunday we're there, 
the pastor gets up and he says, isn't it great that we don't have to make a big deal about Easter because every Sunday is a Resurrection Sunday? Yeah. And Lynn walked out saying, there's not even a, a lily. Yeah, right, okay. right. However, they did make a big deal about Reformation Day. Isn't that interesting? And uh, every day is Reformation. When, <laughs> when, when, when I when I asked our elder about this, I said, "So why is it that we make a big deal about Reformation Day, right. but we don't about Easter?" It's a special revelation. He, well, well what, he, he actually no. To his credit, he looked at me and said, "Because we're inconsistent." <laughs> well, there and, you go. And the, the session talked about it, and the next year they did it in Easter service. Isn't so to their credit, they, yeah. they, they did the right thing there. But, okay, let's look at the regulative principle on this one <laughs> moment, shall we? Here we go. There Here we is. go. Here we let, go. Let, let, People are now shutting off their, their iPods <laughs> or whatever they listen to us. I say, those guys have gone too far. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, yeah, let, let's take a look at Jesus, shall we? Oh, <laughs> ooh, here we um, go. Here we if go. you read in the Gospel of John, Jesus participated in something called the Feast of Dedication. Which is not in the Pentateuch. Which is not in the Pentateuch. It's, it, it, we call it Hanukkah. Ah. So Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Now <laughs> Hanukkah commemorates... Dreidel, dreidel. I had a lot of Jewish friends when I was growing up. <laughs> this was like their alternative to Christmas. Right. Yes. <laughs> and they um, had 12 days. I think it was 12, or was it seven? Uh, uh, I can't seven. remember. Maybe seven days. Seven days. Yeah. They got seven days to get presents. Damn. And they would rub that in the Christian kids' faces. Like, we, you guys only have one day. We have seven days. <laughs> or is it eight? I don't remember. I think it's eight. eight. I, think I think it's eight. eight. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but in any it event. It has to do with the temple and the. Right. And the, the so yeah. what, what happened is after Antiochus Epiphanes desecrated the temple, right. the Maccabees retook Jerusalem. Judas the Hammer, baby. <laughs> I want to like have the nickname The Hammer. <laughs> Chris the Hammer. They, <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 yeah, yeah. They, they, the Maccabees retook the Jerusalem. They cleansed the temple, but they didn't have enough oil to keep the presence lamp lit. And God miraculously kept the light on until they could get a shipment of oil in. Right. And that is the, the you know that it was for eight, nine nights, whatever it is, seven right. nights. Right. That period of time is how Hanukkah is celebrated it's to, to commemorate the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the fact that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, the mm -hmm. Feast of Dedication, didn't means, follow the gregative principle. means one of three things. Mm -hmm. Either the Apocrypha is scripture, Ooh. or Jesus violated the regulative principle. Ooh. Or we're being way too scrupulous with the regulative principle. Yeah, now, which would mean the regulative principle wouldn't have been scriptural. I'm just saying, if right. if mm -hmm. that if Jesus didn't. Oh, practice. but the problem is that their their proof of the regulative principle is in the Pentateuch. Right. It's in the Old yeah. Testament. Yeah. Now, I, I want to speak up yeah. for the regulative principle a little yeah. bit here because because uh, I think it's important to. to to note that they, they were on to something. That's right. You know, the people who were promoting the regulative principle mm -hmm. had witnessed some really crazy stuff, sure. indulgences, you know, just different things yeah. that really needed to change. Yeah. And we needed to pull back. Yeah. We needed to, we did need, we did, we did need to purify. There were, there were a yes. lot of things that were abuse, or mm -hmm. were abuses and shouldn't have happened. And it, and it places, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm being, Histrionic. What I'm, what I'm going at, but it, it, it places the normative measure there to which anything still has to conform. But the question is different whether it's prescriptive or normative, mm -hmm. and that I think is what you're, what you're after here. Right. Yeah, that's, and, they're looking and, for a standard. They want to make it clear. Yep. It's got to be yep. scriptural, and and I yep. get that. There's and, a difference between prescriptive and normative, though, in the sense that this prescribes the only thing versus this is the norm to which everything must conform. Mm -hmm. And by the way, within the reform tradition, 
there are a, a range of approaches to this. Right. Yeah. So to, to say yeah. that there's one true way to okay. do this is just now, wrong. I was yeah. trying to be very careful how I worded that. <laughs> I think what I said is they're being overly scrupulous yeah, right. in terms of using the regulative principle. Yeah, I think that's right. I think so. um, because, um, well, you know, Calvin celebrated Christmas. Uh-oh, watch out. Uh -oh. He did Christmas, he did Easter, he did Pentecost. Those were three of the Sundays that they took communion, three of the four. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. So he's following the traditional church year. What was the fourth, do you remember? I don't remember off the yeah. top of my head. Well, I wish you did. some research on them. Yeah, yeah I, I can track it down pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm rather embarrassed that I don't remember it, but in any event. Um, the point is, not that the regular principle is necessarily wrong, but like anything else, if you absolutize it, you've yes. got a problem. That's it. Because, um, you know, like I said, number one, if you look at the early reformers, none of them would have agreed with you. Mm -hmm. And number two, you're being more scrupulous than Jesus was. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you've become a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. Well, and what happens is they're confusing the, the occasional aspect of scripture with its its application i mean that's what the, the scriptures are dealing with dealing with specific things in specific occasions mm -hmm. that provides the norm for the way we deal with those things in mm -hmm. any kind of occasion but the occasions are differing right so we have to be you you can't just say that w what is happening in this particular instance is what is exactly happening in this particular instance right. Okay. what you're doing is you're you're trying to take that is the norm and the, 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 the grace boundary for which the application takes place. Right, and if you want to look at a normative principle from scripture, by the way, the normative principle is considered in a lot of ways the opposite of the regulative principle. But if you want to look at something normative in scripture, yeah. how about the fact that every time that God does something significant in the Old Testament, he turns it into a feast. Mm -hmm. They're to celebrate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not just things like the Exodus, but even things like harvests mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The norm is to celebrate God's actions in the world. Want, what, what action is more significant than the incarnation and the re resurrection? What would, I mean, if you're following through on the way God had worked throughout history, these are exactly the kinds of things you ought to be celebrating. So now, now let me just kind of step back and sort of put this in a different frame. When we, when we talk about exercising dominion, for example, often we think about you know, our daily lives, we think about institutions in our society, government, mm -hmm. households, et cetera, all being ordered to the glory of God through Christ. Mm -hmm. So we're good with that. Why not the calendar? Mm -hmm. What makes the calendar a place where that doesn't apply. Yeah. Shouldn't we think about the calendar in, the, in that way? Now, as we know, within the academy now, there is a concerted effort to expunge mm -hmm. Christ. Yeah. A.D., an, you know, yeah. Anno Domini, yeah. is, not the, is, is not kosher yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the academy now. Yeah. Now, it's what, you know, B, it's uh, C, C, E, and, and B, C, C E. e. ACDC. No, wait, no, that's where I grew up, sorry. <laughs> but whenever I come across it, you know, one of the things that just, just startled me years ago was when my, when my scholarly Christian friends started adopting that kind of, that kind of think, or that kind of speak, the, the, mm -hmm. those, those designations. Common era, before the common era. What, what are we talking about here? Yeah. You know, are, are we saying, in effect, that this is not the year of the Lord, that, yeah. the, that the incarnation was not significant enough to redefine how we order time? You know, I, I mentioned this in my church a few weeks ago. If, yeah. if we were sticking to the Jewish calendar, yeah. this is what, year 5,870, uh, 5, 5, something. something like that? Yeah. So, well, if you want to do that, <laughs> fine, we'll stay yeah. consistent. But don't play this little game That's that, right. yeah. that we, we don't track Christmas and Easter, but we do count, you know, yeah. you know, uh, you know zero or day, you know, or year one from the, the yeah. advent of Christ. And shouldn't redemptive, the redemptive history of Scripture be the normative way in which we organize a calendar as Christians? Yeah. yeah. By right. the way, going back to paganism for a moment. If you really want to get rid of all pagan references in culture, we have to rename the days of the week. That's right. Well, Each yeah, one of the days of the week right. are named for, 
for for Roman and Greek yeah. gods yeah. and re, sort of reappropriated and by sometimes Norse. Norse, that's right. That's, Thursday and sort. That's right. But yeah. each of those. Yeah. So I mean, you know, so we're, we're sort of yeah. back to full circle here. Yeah, but, that's right. But yeah, time is is something that that is well, this part is, of God's order, and God is sovereign over time. He's, and it, it's, it's, it, it, there's this this picking and choosing. Well, there that's was this the very thing. there was this very bold move when the church moved from the Jewish Hebraic calendar to the conversion of the pagan calendar. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that bold move is, I, I think, what I'm trying to put my, my hands on. What the harnacks of this world um, would have argued is that that's when Christianity became polluted. Yeah, right. Um, versus, but, but the thing is that the, rather than go back to a historical Hebraic or Jewish interpretation of Christianity, he wanted to go to the most reductionistic fatherhood of God and brotherhood of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, read by the calendar that led to National Socialism, yeah, um, really, yeah. um, in the end. Um, that's what happens when you, 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 you throw the Christian calendar out of the picture. That's what you get. Yeah. You get real paganism. If you, if, if, you, <laughs> if you decide that zero is better than Christ, which is what we're saying here, yeah. that we, we prefer the void mm-hmm. to the, 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 the taking of the pagan and, the, and the, the conquest, the dominion of Christ, appropriating and re- and demonstrating its fulfillment, that, you know, and that, and that was the point I was getting at earlier. Yep. We're not just simply taking stuff. That's right. We're saying this is what this is what these people were were reaching for, but couldn't name, mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't do justice to. So, like, you know, it's sort of like if if you were to walk in on some people who were working on a jigsaw puzzle, and they had gotten a number of things right, you wouldn't say. You stupid idiots! Let me just yeah. ruin all of that and just start take you back to yeah. zero and show you how to put the puzzle together. No, what you do is you'd say, "Let me tell you what goes in that spot that you didn't have," yeah. and put that yeah. there. And let me show you the the the, the, the whole the whole picture to it which all, all holds that was together. That's to. right. That's right. And, and and that's 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 in faith. You're saying, "I believe that God is yeah. is the, the one who made the world and has been at work in these various cultures in our world." And of course, they're idolatrous. I'm an idol. That's right. Sort of prone to to, yeah. to making Israel idols. was always prone to idolatry. That's that right. Was the, the, that's the a point given. of the regular principle. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's the given. That's okay. right. <laughs> that's the, but shouldn't we look past that and say, what was God doing in spite of my stupidity, or in spite of the Roman stupidity? And anyway, yeah. And and <laughs> no, we went far afield. <laughs> we went far afield as we always do. Um, but but one one kind of last thought. This kind of Bringing up is the way language works. I mean, we're speaking English, which did not is not ha- did not happen to be the first language of the people of God. Um, um, neither neither was Oops. Greek, nor so, was Latin. Well, no, no, wait a minute. Wait, the wait, no, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We all Arabic. know Arabic is the, the language of heaven. No, 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 no. no, no. We, all, we all know it's King James. <laughs> you know, who, if it was good who? enough for if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us. Now, who there interestingly, a lot of people forget, but King James uh, translation was originated to actually shut the reformed up. Anyway, that's right. right. Well, that's exactly. Right. Yes. The Geneva Bible was a threat to his uh, authority, right. yeah. so yes. he wanted his own version. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly enough, um, they when. King James came to the throne, the Puritans were really excited because they thought they could finally get rid of this whole Episcopal system and all of that <laughs> because he was raised as a presby. Yeah, there you go. And so when, when they told him they wanted to get rid of bishops and, and start a Presbyterian church, he replied, no bishop, no king. <laughs> Four words, worse. and yeah. it completely shut the whole thing down. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. It's a, it's worth, it's, that's a worth a show. Anyway. Yeah. So... So we, we've, we've looked at the regulative principle, we've looked at some of the sort of popular ways of thinking about Christmas that, that really don't have any basis in historical reality. Mm. What else have you got for us, Glenn? Well, I would add one more thing. The place where the really dangerous version of paganism enters Christianity. Okay. Consumerism. Ah, okay. 
there's, there's evidence from pretty early on of gift giving and things like that, actually even associated with Saturnalia. Hmm. Um, but the, the fact that in America, right now, Black Friday yes. is so important. Well, what's Black Friday? Black Friday is the date at which traditional retail businesses finally went in the black. They've been operating in the red up oh, to that point. That's that. when they go in the black. And they go in the black because everybody goes on a buying spree yeah, yeah. for Christmas. Yeah, right. If we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, who was born in a stable mm -hmm. to a very poor family, mm -hmm. the same Jesus who said, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why is it that we think that the most important thing that we can do to celebrate Jesus' birth is go into debt to buy more stuff that we don't need. Yeah, yeah. I that think. is fundamentally where paganism, in a non-technical sense, really enters the picture. Now, even there, though, Glenn, wouldn't you agree that we've got some subtle distinctions to make? So, because Christ is a gift, he's the gift of, you know, uh, the Father to us, he brings us eternal life, uh, there's a sense in which the gifts that we give one another can reflect that, or at least are sort of a, a mimicry of that. Uh, they obviously don't replace it, but maybe that's the distinction we need to, to, to sort, of, you know, sort of make very clear that even, even though Christ is a gift and provides the justification for our giving each other gifts, um, like, you know, you brought it earlier, Tom, you know, even the best things, you know, gluttony, yeah. you know, drunkenness, you know, we've, we're talking about bread and wine. Yeah. We, we can lose sight of the spiritual framework mm -hmm. that we are to interpret all of this within. Sure, and I'm, I'm not saying we should not, I mean, I am not Scrooge. I, I am not saying that we shouldn't be, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very deep set and worthwhile tradition, mm -hmm. giving gifts at Christmas. Right. Yeah. But we shouldn't but, be running over each other in yeah. malls right. and sending well, each other yeah, to the there's, hospital. There's that, I mean, like I said, I mean, like I still see with my, my kids, I mean, there's a sort of magic to the anticipation of the gift, the... You know, there, there are all these things. It's, it's not strictly materialistic. It's, it's this, this kind of build-up and fulfillment notion that, you know, that there is the promise of a gift. Yeah, um, right, there, right. there is this expectation, and it gets to the point of heightened, you know, uh, heightened awaiting, you know, and, and then there is this kind of fulfillment there. But then, for Christians, um, you, you tie this into the deeper significance of these things and that, you know, of course, like, like the Eucharist, and, uh, but, but, you know, not well, sacramental, uh, but as a sign. Yeah, let me, let me reflect mm -hmm. on this a little bit yeah. because I'm, I've got a confession to make. Yeah. As a kid, about this time of year, I was perusing the Sears catalog. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I can still I, smell it. Yeah. I can love that catalog. I miss that catalog. <laughs> but do you remember the smell? The I do. odor. The, the yeah. It wasn't an odor. It was an aroma. Yeah. It was the aroma yeah. of ink on cheap, glossy paper. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, going to my parents every year. Yeah. You know, with this dog-eared catalog, <laughs> and I would total up. Yeah. You know, the, the I, of course, I'm a kid. You know, yeah. I'm eight years yeah. old. I have no idea what three thousand dollars means. <laughs> This is like this is like 1971, you know, <laughs> or 19 yeah. or 1969, uh, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's only going to be three thousand. <laughs> And back then, that was a lot of gifts. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. It would have filled up the living room in my house. Yeah. But you know, as it was, my parents, you know, were not observant. You know, they they were not Christians even. My father was a Scientologist. My mother, you know, she was Anglo-Catholic in terms of her sentiments, but she was not, uh, you know, you know what you would call practicing. Mm -hmm. But this whole sort of environment, I remember waking up at four in the morning, going down to the Christmas tree, you know, 
peeking through the, the the folds of the of the you know the wrapping you know to see, try to see what guess what was was in the box you know but all of that you know at one level is easy to condemn it's easy to say well there you go you know talk about gluttony talk about consumerism you know there you go on the other hand even in my even in spite of that blindness in spite of that materialism, in spite of that sort of greed, yeah. um, Christmas still had a kind of kind of uh, beautiful character, you know, yeah. that I knew ex- even in those days went beyond, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. this this sort of debased way well, of thinking. Well, and you see all the things that Christianity is addressing. I mean, what you, you see in that, first of all, is promise. The promise that our desires are going to be be, mm-hmm. be attended to by God in fulfillment. And yeah. that there, although this is not, this is, this is a material um, gift, nevertheless, it's tied to, in Christmas, the eternal promise. So mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not the thing itself. <laughs> Yeah. But nevertheless, as children, we, just like in the children in the faith, it's, it's, it's oftentimes the, the vehicle, not the thing itself, that we're, we're first drawn Why to. Why are we so impatient with children? Why do we think they have to get it all right from the start? That's that, right. Why don't we have any patience with eight-year-olds? Yeah, yeah. But there is that. There is this kind of this longing and fulfillment, and yet this, this pointing that this isn't the ultimate fulfillment. This is just a, a sign of what is is to come mm-hmm. and just as you have a, the joy in this this gift just like the eucharist you have a you you partake of these elements you have a foretaste of what's to come the you know the the, the joy of of wine and the, the the nourishment of bread it's it's a it's a foretaste of what's to come it's not the thing itself if we looked at and the reformer right about this if we looked at the bread and wine now as the complete thing we would be idolatrous yeah, right. if we looked at the birth uh, the christmas gift as the thing itself as the is the final thing then we would be materialists we would be idolatrous right. but if we we're, the enchantment we're drawn to is the fact that we have a desire that only will find its its ultimate fulfillment in christ which christmas is about well, then I think what we're doing is we're capturing that's the real the, heart. Well, that's a beautiful thought. Just think about the fact that I don't have, have any of those gifts <laughs> 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 that, I, that I so long for at that time. So in a sense, yeah. all of those disappointments. Yeah, yeah. All of My those, parents too, man. There's only good a couple of them. <laughs> but, 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 but what I'm getting at is yeah. even the things I got yeah. are gone. That's right. You know? That's right. Uh, even those things that I longed for and hoped would would make me happy eventually disappointed me that's right and isn't that somehow a beautiful thing in yeah. the sense yeah. that it, it creates in me a longing for something that won't let me down that's right i'm still going to go back to consumerism here okay and and the reason is yeah. because every, i i agree 100 percent with everything you're saying yeah but that's not what i'm seeing in the culture and right. it's not what I'm seeing right. in the church. A right. hundred right. years ago, people were giving gifts to their kids yeah. at Christmas, yeah. and they weren't doing what we're doing with it. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, I, you know, we we have gone from mm-hmm. the positive bread yeah. and wine to gluttony and drunkenness. Yes. Yes. With yes. Gifts. I think you're. I think you're exactly and right. And that, that That's where I see the real danger. Not in, It's not the gift giving that's the problem. Yeah. And I, I see the beauty of that. And I, yeah. I, like I said, I agree completely with everything that, that you're saying here. Yeah. But I think we've lost a balance, the kind of yeah. balance, the kind of control of this that we really ought yeah. to have. And it, it goes along with generally a loss of... Um, of any kind of measure of, of uh, self-discipline, delayed gratification, any yeah. of those sorts of things that we see in society right now. And the ripping of Christmas from the theological context that sure. gives it its, its, it, it, you know, its center. I mean, I think that's it. I mean, it, it, it has been you know, kind of somewhat ripped out of its Christian context and then placed within its, its, its socio-cultural consumerist. Well, c- c- consider the distinction between yeah. You know the uh, 
you know, the Peanuts yeah. Christmas, yeah. where Linus yeah. recounts this Christmas story and the Grinch who stole Christmas. That's right. You know, those two stories. Now, yeah. I'm not a Grinch about the Grinch who stole Christmas. It's a yeah. fun story. I mean, yeah. I mean yeah. I'm not, I, I'm not no. saying that we should condemn it. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's vacuous yeah. in the sense that it basically is this sort of harnack kind of, you yeah. know, sort of brotherhood of man, you know, yeah. isn't it wonderful to give gifts and all this kind of thing. Yeah. But it loses the transcendent. Yeah. You know, there's there's no sort of appreciation for how God entered into the world. And that's why, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas yeah. is is you know, but you know, I remember when I was a kid, there was Charlie Brown Christmas, there was the Grinch who stole Christmas, and there was even the Little Drummer Boy. Uh-huh. Remember the Little Drummer <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy? And you couldn't get much more sort of like over the top Christian than Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> is that still on? Is, is, is I that don't know. I, mean, I, I see it every it, now and again, I haven't but I haven't seen it, seen it in, 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 in a long time. The interesting thing about Charlie Brown Christmas that I, that I saw somebody point out. It's the only time when Linus drops his blanket is when he tells the Christmas story. Interesting, interesting. I didn't realize that. I hadn't thought about that. It, anyway, anyway yeah, we're, we've come to, we've, we've, we've filled the allotted time. Yes. We're, we're, it's time to wrap things up. Anything you want to say in, in conclusion there, Tom? No, just, uh, I mean, I know we have another episode, but uh, Merry Christmas in the process for those who uh, will press on with it and, you know, God bless those who decide not to. (laughs) Anything else you want to say, Glenn? I think I've said too much already. (laughs) Anyway, we appreciate uh, all of the love that we receive here at the uh, Theology Podcast. Again, as we've said several times, we're surprised at the size of our audience. And and we, we each of us get, almost on a daily basis, texts and messages and emails telling us that, that folks like the show. You know, uh, we're up to 50 reviews on uh, iTunes, and I've been told that it makes a difference. The number of, of reviews and you know five-star ratings you get on iTunes, because when people see, you know, their podcast they're they're currently subscribed to, and they're given alternatives on iTunes. You know, if you have more reviews, positive reviews, then you know you have you know, these uh, op- other options presented to you. Hmm. So we, we appreciate everybody who's given us uh, a, you know, a great review. And maybe this, is, maybe this is something that you'd like to do too. If, you, if you'd uh, spend a little time and uh, give us a five-star review, Obviously, if you don't feel like we deserve five stars, don't do that. <laughs> Actually, if you don't feel like we deserve five stars, don't bother doing the review at all. That's right. <laughs> but, anyway, but if you if you do, that's that that'll help us out. Anyway, without with those thoughts, uh, why don't we say goodbye? Bye bye. Merry Christmas, bye, everyone. Yes, Merry Christmas.